When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And Taylor, it's Mailbag Day. We had put out the call for questions earlier this week, asking our followers to send us their questions that they had for us about the Sabres, about anything else, and all the questions were about the Sabres, so clearly nobody gives a shit about what we have to say about anything else. (laughs) So, So... We had a great response, though. We have a bunch of questions. A handful of you sent in multi-part questions, which was really awesome. So we have a lot to talk about today. Some really exciting stuff. A lot of it dealing with the offseason and looking ahead to next year and beyond. So are we ready to get into this, Taylor? Yep. All right. So let's start off with Steve Mathis. So he had reached out and had said, what do the Sabres do in net in 2022? Is there a legitimate stud free agent to pay a trade candidate? a solid vet free agent to split with UPL feels like getting our hands on a competent goaltender who can stay healthy, could do wonders for this team. Do you want to take this first Taylor? Or would you like me to uh, you go first? Okay. So this season, there is no stud free agent. We've talked about this, you know, over the past couple of months that there's nobody that is like necessarily that top of the market guy who you would go out and spend a ton of money on. Realistically, I would say the top options are three guys. Uh, And they all kind of give you a little bit something different. Braden Holtby, who I've talked about at length that I like as an option, Jack Campbell, and then Billy Huso. So other free agents just to get this out of the way too, because they're the bigger names, but I think that it's, it's just not a realistic possibility for the Sabres would be Darcy Kemper. I think he goes back to Colorado. I mean, they're in the conference finals right now, and I just think it makes too much sense for them. I mean, they gave up a first round pick for him. So I'm going to assume that they're going to want to keep him around. And then Marc-Andre Fleury, he's going to want to go to uh, an immediate contender. So I don't think it really makes sense for the Sabres to do that. So back to the guys though, who I think are the realistic free agent options. I think Braden Holtby is a better version of what you would want out of Anderson this season in that you want a guy who is an experienced veteran, who has a track record of winning, who is a good locker room guy, and who is going to be able to be that calming veteran presence in net that UPL can lean on as well as the other young guys in the room for them to lean on. Holtby, or uh, Huso and Campbell, they're a little bit of a different approach in going after them. So As far as Campbell goes, I mean, he's been on a competitive Toronto team. Toronto has had a lot of question marks in that, and he has had his fair share of injury concerns, especially this past season. But 
when he has been healthy, by and large, he's been solid for them. And he would be a considerable upgrade over what the Sabres have had over the past handful of seasons. So I don't mind him as an option. Huso, we had gotten asked about in a couple of other questions, and we'll get into some of the specifics of that when we get to those questions. But he's another guy that, I mean, he's 27 years old right now you're banking a lot on the fact that this past year was the first year that he really has proven that he can play at the NHL level. Now, some of that can definitely be attributed to Jordan Bennington coming along, you know, a few years back, Huso was really seemed to be the guy who was supposed to take the mantle in St. Louis. He's hurt. Bennington gets the opportunity and comes out of nowhere and ends up leading them to a cup. And then Huso still is in the same position that he had been. This past year, he gets the opportunity and he took advantage of it. He was really solid for St. Louis and we could be pretty, I think, forward and honest in saying that he's the reason why they ended up making the playoffs because he gave them that stability and that that Bennington ultimately wasn't just giving them. Obviously, once it got to the playoffs, things changed there. But I think Huso is an intriguing option in that, like I said, he's 27 years old. So if you end up giving him a shorter term deal, you a shorter term deal, you're not going to be on the hook for a while as compared to if you're going after a guy who's maybe like 30, 31, like Campbell, for example, or somebody like Holtby, who's a little bit older. I think he's about 33, 34 right now. So for me, those are the really the most intriguing options. As far as a trade candidate goes, I think a lot of that just comes down to off-season shakeups and who is going to be feeling like they're in a spot to want to move a guy. A lot of the, we we've talked about it. You and I are both very anti Georgiev. We're anti Corpisalo. Really, either of the Columbus guys. I mean, it would be cool to have a goalie named Elvis on our team. I will say that much. But they're not going to trade him. Um, so I, I don't know. I think that the trade market, it's going to depend a little bit. And I don't want to go like full. I mean, it's funny. I'm saying this now because there's a, a couple of the later questions where we do kind of have to go uh, NHL GM mode, but I don't want to get too far in the weeds with that until we, I think, have a better idea of who is actually going to become available. And I think on top of that, just in general, you know, those three options that I had given, I could live with the Sabres going into next season with a tandem of UPL and either of those three guys and feel reasonably confident about how they're going to do. What do you got, Taylor, for your goalie options? Well, for starters, I, this is a a 1% chance or one-tenth of a percent chance, but I don't really want to close the door on someone like Kemper just because I'm looking right now at, at spot track Colorado, uh, has to pay McKinnon uh, among other people. But right now they have Landeskog under contract for 7 million a year for uh, quite a long time, (laughs) which is good. That's a fine contract. He's a good player. Uh, They also McKinnon's currently at a bargain at 6.3 million. He is going to be making like 12 million after next season. Uh, McCarr is making 9 million a year. Gerard's making 5 million. Taze is kind of a bargain at 4.1 million, but he'll also need a new contract at some point. Bowen Bygram's going to need a contract uh, as well. Uh, so I just don't really see, or I should, what I should say is I see them having some kind of cap crunch coming up. But like you said, they give up a first to get Kemper and they don't really have an immediate replacement. So it's not like they're going to just let him walk. If it's a million dollars more than they want to pay, they'll just make it work some other way. I guess my point is, is that the the Sabres have this really, they're in an enviable position in this way where they can look at a goalie and give them crazy term for like two years because 
they had they they had no near the cap floor, much less the uh, the cap ceiling at the moment. So I think there's at least uh, some. It's worth mentioning at least that there's there's if they if they want to go that route, that's someone that could go after. That's now with the other guys you mentioned, uh, most of the guys that are free agents or are available via trade in all likelihood, there aren't too many guys you can be super confident in this this off season, but there's something to them. Jack Campbell's a good example. On one hand, the first half of last season. On the other hand, the second half of last season. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like he's he's a great example in that way. I agree. Flurry is not coming to Buffalo. In fact, I believe Flurry said he just wants to stay in Minnesota. Uh, t- to mention someone else uh, that you discussed, Braden Holpe will not be 33 until September. Next year is his age 33 season, and he's not a not an old guy, not washed up. But and I should say, and to that point, he had a good season this year in the limited time he did play. The th- three or four seasons prior, there's a definite trending down. But you mentioned him being a veteran, which could be good for UPL, and the fact that he was pretty good this year. It's not impossible that he bounces back and is solid in a role where he doesn't have to play too much. And that's only really if you want UPL to be taking the lead, which I'm not sure we want, but that's that's kind of up to them to decide this offseason. And then, yeah, there's a lot of other guys on here that are just like, it's it's barely worth mentioning that are free agents. Scott Wedgwood, Kincaid, Malcolm right. Subban, just... I'll, I'll just say, too, with Holpe, I mean, Ottinger is obviously far and away ahead of UPL in terms of their standing as a young goalie, but I just look at that as a perfect parallel for what the Sabres want. You know, like what the Stars did with Holpe and Ottinger this year should be what the Sabres do next year, where you have a guy that can be a capable starter for you that isn't going to end up playing 60 games, but in the event that your young goalie isn't able to take the reins. And obviously in Dallas's case, Ottinger absolutely took that job and eventually ran with it. But you have that stability there where you know that if UPL stumbles a little bit here and there, that the sky is not going to be falling because you have Holtby that you can lean back on. Yeah, definitely. So someone else though, uh, another guy who's a veteran, he'll be 37 next season. Uh, Tomas Grice, well, he'll be 37 halfway through next season. Uh, he actually was really solid basically every year until this past year when he was terrible. Now, there's a calculation to make. Two calculations, really. <laughs> One, how much of it was him being terrible and how much of it was the Red Wings? Because the Red Wings uh, loved giving up goals last year. They're one of the main reasons uh, why scoring was so up. They gave up, I believe, 11, 10, 9, and 8 goals in different games. That's one thing to remember or consider. The other thing to consider is, was this a one-year blip or is that it for him? Because it was his age 36 season. He turned 36 in January. Now, he he fell from being... I don't know if that's a risk I want to find out. That's true. 9-12, 9-13. But to me, Holpe's just as a big of a risk, if not bigger. Because Holpe has not played well in a season where he's played more than 20 games in five years. Grice was good two years ago. That's fair. That's fair. So I'll give you two other names. And he'd be cheap, I think. I'll give you two other names that I just thought of about uh, for players that are in situations where there's a little bit of a log jam. Logan Thompson, for one. I mean, he's very intriguing to me. I don't, he's 25, I believe. And 
Vegas, I doubt, moves on from Robin Lehner, even though Thompson did play really well for them down the stretch. And I'm assuming that they probably wouldn't be chomping at the bit to trade him, especially to a team like Buffalo, who and they just had the Eichel trade. But who knows? On top of that, do we know what the status of things in Boston is? Like, is Jeremy Swayman going to be available? Obviously, you don't want Allmark's contract, but is Swayman a possibility there if they're going to commit to Allmark? I mean, something to consider at least. I don't know. Man, I I would think not. If they're being smart, I'd be I'd be holding on to Jeremy Swayman if I were them. But are they going to be able to move Allmark though? No, but I think I would I would take the the risk. I don't know if risk is the right word here. I would be way more interested in doing everything to move Allmark. And eventually you'll find oh, a suitor. Of course, of course. So I, I, maybe, maybe they do, but God, I don't know. I mean, if Tuku was around, I'd say Swayman really probably would be available. Uh, and then who was else? Oh, the, the Logan Thompson thing. So what about this? You, the Sabres take on a contract for Vegas. Yeah. And get Logan Thompson. I'm all in on that move. I now, hold on. I'm going to look this up real quick because I don't know who, who they'd be taking on. But Logan Thompson, like you said, he really came on strong last year. And I know the end of the season was weird with Leonard, but consider that their coach is fired and he was the, the main guy it was weird with. Yep. So I, I think, I, I don't think they'll have too many problems with Leonard. I mean, there's been no indication that Leonard doesn't want to come back or there's any issues with him as of now. So they, they're going to have trouble paying more than one goalie they're gonna have trouble paying anyone because they already so they're gonna have Laurent Bressois is under contract and Leonard's under contract for three more years so they'll have two goalies already so Thompson is an obvious guy to to give up and let's see is there who, which contact could the Sabres take how about this guy Evgeny Dadnov the Donov yeah that's the possibility someone they were already trying to dump that's a possibility or I mean it would obviously be a much bigger deal and you wouldn't just be doing it as a cap dump. And I know he was connected before, but is there a way you can get Jonathan Marshall show out of there? Well, mm, that's a good question. I would say he's got two years left and he makes the same amount of money as dad. God, why do they give dad that much money? That is so weird. All right. So March or so is two years left at 5 million. I wonder, I wonder, I mean, traded for him, Taylor. I don't think that, or did Vegas, you know what, for, you know what they did trade for him? Cause th- that's why they didn't know about his uh, no move clause or limited, no trade clause. Right. They didn't, they grab him from Florida or Ottawa. I mean, excuse me. He went to Ottawa and then to Vegas. Yep. Florida and to tr- Ottawa to Vegas. Yeah. So they're trying to dump him back on Ottawa. Right. And that's where his limited no trade came up or wherever they were trying to do with this offseason or this trade deadline, his limited no trade became a problem. So yeah, that's, that's interesting. I'm looking at them now and you're not going to. That's a good possibility. I, I would definitely sign up for that. I mean, obviously if you're talking about the Donov and just getting that contract off the books, that's, you're not going to be needing to give up much if at all, but it is of course, obviously if we're talking about someone like Marsha show, you know, you're going to have to give at least some kind of an asset. They're $83 million right now. $83 million in allocations for next season. Wow. So they have to do something. They're going to have to. Yep. So they, man, I mean, looking at this now, they just pay, they overpay everyone by like a little bit. It seems like, Mm -hmm. but how about this? So 
with that in mind and knowing that they want to going to want to be cheap. Logan Thompson will be 766,000 against the cap next year. Laurent Bessois, Bessois is 2.3 million. So it would save them money to have Thompson be their backup considering he was pretty good last year. Would you take in a trade uh Bessois? Uh, I don't know if I would ahead of some of the other options we've named. I would probably take Thompson over some of the others, but I don't think I would for Bressois. I mean, you know, and, and with Bressois too, I mean, that's just a, a, a bandaid there because he's a UFA after next season. So I don't know. I don't necessarily love that move. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Would you take him? Um, I guess if he was, if, if the, the market kind of fell apart and that was your option. Well, yeah, not- that, that's kind of how I feel too, is if you run into a scenario like last season, for example, or last off season, and you just are kind of like, well, we need to do something here. He would be my, we need to do something option. Yeah. To me, that's better than the options they've had now with him. And also with Grice, I, I, I don't know if we've considered this as a possibility or if it's just not a possibility, that the Sabres actually bring in two goalies. And let's say one of them was Grice. Let's say they get a guy they want. We'll call him starter, whoever it is. He's the starter. Grice is the backup to start the year. Because I don't know how how much faith they have that UPL will definitely be able to be in the NHL next year. So what they could do in this situation is then – Grice is theoretically on a one-year deal and he's old. If he's just bad, if this was, that was really it for him and he's done, he's washed. They could just kind of like eat the contract or, or wave him him and send him to Rochester and then UPL could come up. That's fair. I I think in a perfect scenario though, you want UPL pushing for a job, not the job, but a job. Yeah. Coming out of training camp. Yeah. Or I guess you could, you could have it be that like you could have, because Last year when they signed Dell, was it Dell two-way? Like when they sent him down after training camp, did he have to clear waivers or was he a two-way? It's a good question, actually. I'm not entirely sure on that. I think that they signed him to a two-way deal, but let's take a look and see here. Yeah, I'm not sure. So I guess there's there's a couple things like that to consider. Maybe because, I mean, bringing in two guys, twice the twice the odds that one of them would be good, I guess. What do we got? Uh, where's our dear friends over at Cat Friendly at? Good for Aaron Dell. He's made over seven, almost $8 million in his career. Wow. Good for him. Uh, yeah. All right. Yeah, I'm not finding that anywhere i i think that it was a two-way though yeah it, i assume it must have been yeah anyways should we move on to the next question well i think yeah is should the next question uh be the, the villa hue so one yeah absolutely we can do that all right next up our friend andrew asks if villa huso hits free agency do the sabers make a run at him and if they do what's the max they should pay and max term and would he, I believe it's, would he consider signing with the Sabres? And if so, why? So, I mean, I think that they do make a run at him if he hits UFA. 
and he's 27 years old. So I would look at something in like the two to three year range and the three to $4 million range, comparably other goalies who make in that general area. Um, Alex Nadeljkovic makes 3 million. Chris Dreiger makes 3.5 million. Ilya Sorokin makes 4 million. Tristan Jari makes 3.5. Jari is obviously the best of that list, but I, I kind of feel like he fits right in that kind of clump, you know, and especially when you look at it, guys like Dreiger and Nadeljkovic, I mean, their whole calling card really was that they had short stints, decently aged, de- more in, you know, uh, Nadeljkovic's case, but decently aged, had short stints where uh, of really within one seat, contained within one season where they looked really good, went to a team that needed a goalie and ended up getting, you know, not a crazy term or, or pay. So I would say, yeah, two to two or three years between three and 4 million. And if you have to outbid somebody because you really want them again, as you had mentioned before, you can pay him more if you want to, but I don't think I'd go more than three years at a max. Yeah. So I guess it's kind of unknowable. Would he come to the Sabres or not? I assume he's out of St. Louis. And I say that because they have to pay Bennington. And I think after this postseason, they're probably just going to hold on to Bennington and Huso will command some money. So they're not going to want to pay him as much as he can command in the free market. Right. The the other thing to say is that when you put it that way with Dredger and Nadelkovic, like that sounds like a cautionary tale because both those guys were garbage this year. They both I have played more on faith in Nadelkovic though than I do Dredger. I'll say that just because of an age thing, but yeah. Anyway, well, so that's beside the point. Sorry, go ahead. Doesn't help with Huso though since he's a uh, he's not young. No, that's fair. That's uh, fair. But yeah, like it's both those guys went from being on good teams to being on not good teams and that Huso would be doing that to some extent as well to, to a less good team. At least we don't know how good the team will be next year, but we'll answer that question later. So, yeah. So Huso, yeah, I would consider it definitely. And any contract I'd give any goalie in this market would be short-term. There's no one that I'd be go probably right. longer than two years with, frankly, right. we saw what happens when you give a, a goalie of this level of three-year contract. It's not good. So Yes, I, I would like Huso for some reasons. I think looking at him, two years seems seems about right. And you could, like I said, you could give him a little bit more than he's worth because it, it's just money. It's not cap space. You guys are, they have saved so much room. They, they're gonna be they're not going to know what to do with it. <laughs> yeah, like honestly, they might have to do another Johnny Boychuk type move where they get a guy that's not going to play. So the thing with Huso that gives me a little bit of pause is that he's been kind of all over the place the last few years. After he got drafted, his numbers were really good. Even coming to the AHL, his AHL numbers starting out were like really good, solid for a while. In the last four years, it's really been all over the place. He got his first NHL action last year, and he wasn't good. He was sub 900. There was no reason to believe that he was going to be special in any way. And this year, for the first, I would say, two months that he was getting serious playing time, he was incredible. And he was like a 930 goalie and he fell off obviously. And he especially fell off in the playoffs. I guess the question is, is he the sub 900 guy? No, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully. Uh, is he the over 930 guy? Definitely not. So can he be like a 910 guy for two years where money's no object? And then at, at the end of two years, you've had pretty good goaltending and you get to decide where you're going in terms of Portillo, Levi, UPL, someone else. 
that's that's the way I think of it with you. So absolutely, yeah. Well said. No, I, I completely agree. Completely agree. You're right, and I um I would say too. I mean, two to three years, obviously. Like I said, I really only got came with that number because it would take him up to being thirty, but. I, I think two years is absolutely the move too. And like you said, at this point, that's kind of the nice thing about this is that money really isn't an object. But I also will say, and nobody had asked us about this, but would not be mad if the Sabres got ahead of the curve with some of the upcoming contracts that they're going to have to be giving out, AKA Tage and Darlene. Mm-hmm. That's but true. That'll be something we'll talk about a lot this off season, because I really hope that Kevin Adams tries to be proactive with that one. On to the next question. Questions, actually, I should say. Justin Ermacora had reached out, and he had given us – we have four questions from Justin. So the first one is, what are your expectations for a healthy Casey Middlestat this season? So that's that's an interesting one because you and I both had high hopes for Middlestat coming into this past season, but he was flat-out unlucky when it came to the injury issues. And I think that answering this question is completely dependent on what version of him we get. Because we saw flashes of the late 2021 version of him this past season after he was back for an extended period down the stretch. You know, as we had said, he was injured for, what was it? It was about Halloween to March or something, up to March or just about. Um, So for a, a large chunk of the season, he wasn't here. And then he comes back. Everybody started to freak out, understandably so, because it took him a while to really kind of get up to speed. He looked like he had reverted back to the pre-2021 version of himself or second half of 2021 version of himself where you were seeing issues with conditioning. You were seeing issues with strength, confidence with the puck on his stick. And then after he was back for a few weeks or a couple of weeks, it really seemed like the lights started to go on. He caught back up again when it came to his conditioning and his skating. That was really the big thing at the end of the 2021 season. For him that at least that I saw and I think a lot of people saw was that his skating drastically improved and that allowed him then to be more effective in the other areas of his game which are his specialty skating has never been a specialty of his with him it's been his ability his creativity with the puck on his stick his shot and his quick release and his stick handling ability when you have slow feet but you don't have elite processing ability that's going to really catch up to you and that's what we saw with middle stat however just the the incremental the like the tiny improvement that we saw where he got up to maybe more of like an nhl average skating level that then freed up the rest of his game so much so and that's a guy that i think Ultimately, you know, if you get him again, where he gets stronger in this offseason, he has uh, no complications or hiccups with, again, continuing to rehab from his injury and just feeling better. And he comes into next season at 100% well conditioned. I think at a best case scenario, he is a 40 ish, we'll say 40 to 45 point left winger on the third line for you. I don't think he goes any higher than that. I don't think he needs to be. He's not going to ever live up to the pedigree of being a top 10 pick. But if you could get 40 to 45 points out of middle stat playing on your third line as a winger, not as a center, so that you could take away some of the defensive responsibility from him, and then you give him power play time. I don't know if it's necessarily the first unit, but we'll call it starting next year with the second unit. And if he shows that he's going to be more willing to shoot the puck, then he can get those opportunities on the first unit. 
but I'm going to say he, he falls in right around there. And I think, again, along with the skating being improved and being up to the standard that we saw with him, where he was seeming like he belonged here, the guy's got to shoot more. He's got a great shot. And a huge part of that is how quick his release is. He needs to shoot more flat out. And then the points are going to come. So that, that's where I have him pegged, at least. What are your thoughts on middle stat for next season? So I think it's hard to know. I think it's been such a, he had such a meteoric rise and it's been such kind of a nightmare since then for him, because if you think about it, like, like it's been pointed out before he was playing high school hockey in Minnesota. And then he was in the NHL two years later. So even a full two years. Yeah. So he's in the NHL that first season. They obviously gave him way too much responsibility. He goes down to Rochester second season, kind of the same deal, but this time it's way more his fault. He hasn't improved enough, like you mentioned there. And then he goes down again, and then COVID happens. And he, him and everyone else, well, he and the guys that didn't make the playoffs didn't play competitive hockey for 10 months. So then he comes back, first half of that season, I believe was in the AHL and also taxi squad, but I could be mistaken on that. Mm-hmm. Comes to the NHL and then finish the season strong once Granado takes over. And then, like you mentioned, he was in and out of the lineup all year last year, played less than half the season. So this is a year where it's, it's almost impossible to know what to expect from him. Like that's been, on one hand, it's been, some of that's been his fault and some of it has not. So I guess all I can say is the floor of my expectation is he should be a guy that's earned a spot in the NHL, which he hasn't always been. He looked more like it at the end of the year this year, but right. it hasn't always been him. So however he carves out that role, he has to be like worth having around or else that then it's no, you don't even have to think about it. You can just dump them. Right. And but, I think yeah. the thing that's, that's unfortunate too, especially with him being hurt this season of all years is that coming into this past season, the entire mentality of the organization and the fans was we're going to throw the young guys out there, whoever steps up and, and claims their role claims it. And we saw guys do that. I mean, Tage is the shining example of that, of course, where he just came out of nowhere, but that's what's so unfortunate is that this year was all about development and the opportunity for him to really grow his game and expand his game. And while next year, I don't think necessarily that they're going to be pushing for a playoff spot. It's you're getting closer and closer now to do or die time, you know, and that's what sucks. Like this year could have been his year where if he plays not even the full season, if he plays 70 plus games, that gives him the chance to grow and gives him a chance to solidify himself. But we just really did not ever get that out of him or get the opportunity to, because it's been a story of two players really when he's even been on the ice in the first place. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's unfortunate, but yeah, I I don't think your expectations can be too high going into this year, but I also think if he doesn't meet those little expectations, at least it's easy to know what to do. Right. All right. Second question from Justin potential, right-handed defenseman candidates to put aside power. You want to take this one first, or would you like me to? I'd like to give you a guy that I hadn't, I don't think I've heard mentioned yet, but I think is interesting. Give it to me. Josh Manson. I have him on my list. Yeah, why not? He's been awesome. I had no idea he was a free agent. And like we talked about earlier, Colorado's going to have to choose who they keep, don't keep. Well, and let's be real here too. Look at their defensive core. He's, he's a, Manson is a legitimate top four defenseman. But next year, you're going to have Makar, Taze, Gerard, and Bowen Byram. And you have Eric Johnson for another year, too, and he could still play. 
You're yeah. gonna really put Josh Manson on your third pair. Yeah, like we talked about before, like they're gonna make a real effort to keep Kemper. So that's gonna be money that they're gonna have to pay because he yeah. had a great year and they have to resign McKinnon. Now McKinnon has a year left, so next year they won't be in a cap crunch. But let's say this offseason they McKinnon signs for would you be surprised if he signed for like eight years ninety-six million? Jesus. No, I wouldn't. But if there's ever a guy that I feel like would take a discount. Mm, I know, but he already did that once. He did. He did. He did. I guess it depends also on how this year goes too. I mean, if they win the cup, either way, I should say, I don't want to make it seem like this is dependent on that. Either way, he's absolutely worth that much money. Don't get me wrong, but I don't know. I, I guess it all just depends on what he's going to be willing to take. And if there is going to be the opportunity for them to get him at a somewhat a bargain price, but yeah, I think so, it's, it's a fallacy to think that he's going to get paid anything less than, you know, a, a double digit AAV. Yeah. So let me give you a scenario here. Manson wins the cup this year with Colorado. That does increase your price. Sure. That's what it's I'm saying. Just, with McKinnon. So, I mean, yeah, so does, so does coming to Buffalo. So the Sabres are able to offer him, like, I don't know. I don't want to throw out a number, but I don't know. That's kind of like an ideal situation. Like you get to be like, all right, I won a cup. He's played in the league for a few years. Now I get paid. I get to go somewhere that maybe you have some reasonable faith that things are going to get better. And not just that, he gets to play with the number one pick. Yeah. So you get, he gets to have this uh, at least reputation now as a mentor, as long as he's just every once in a while, it's like, Hey kid, come on, let's go. You know, like, right. It's not that hard. And then, uh, it's not that hard to appear to be a mentor, I should say. And then eventually in a couple of years, he knows, Hey, maybe if I fall off, this guy will be picking me up because he should be a star at some point. There you go. I'm so all that, about it. To me, that seemed ideal, but who else did you have in mind? So I'll do my other UFA option, which is lower down the list. Manson is definitely my top UFA there, but I really don't hate the idea of, P.K. Subban as a Band-Aid. The two prior years to this past year, he was not great. He was bad. Um, this past year was a little bit of a, a return to form for him. Not obviously his Norris caliber form, but he was significantly better this past season than he was the past two. I think that he gives you what you want in the room in terms of a veteran presence, a guy that is a, he's a good vibes guy. He seems like he just like beams positivity he has a ton of experience and has excelled through in this league. And I think that that's absolutely the kind of pedigree of a guy that you want next to power. And again, as he's shown this year, he's not completely done. Like the juice is not all out of him. So he has a little bit more there. Otherwise though, my, my trade options. And we talked about these guys back in April when we had our episode uh, when power first came into the mix. And I think it was right ahead of the deadline for guys that they should look at. And we had said two of the, these two guys along with some others, but the top of my list for trades are two guys who are 2023 UFAs, which makes me feel like it's more likely that they will be available. And that's Matt Dumba and Damon Severson. So we had talked <clears throat> When uh, we, we had recently talked about them, we've talked about him a handful of times that his whole issue is that he was a really, really promising, solid scoring defenseman. He ends up getting hurt and really was not ever the same after coming back from that this past year, though, he seemed to take a step back in the right direction. When we had talked to evolving wild, our, our pal, Josh, he had, 
pointed out too that the numbers back that up that he had you know trended back in the right direction this year pretty much in all facets of his game I mean he's going to be 28 he or he is 28 I believe I think he's going to be 29 during next season um but you have a guy who's a good skater there there's some offensive punch um again you know from at least what I've read up on him good vibes guy as well good for the room but I I like Dumba as an option too just to give you some punch and then same thing with Severson I mean New Jersey you know they are going to have to be giving out big contracts pretty soon namely for Jack Hughes and Severson is going to be a UFA in 2023 is he somebody that they feel they can move and maybe they want to move him for help up front or for youth and I think that he fits the bill for what the Sabres need again, both of which are right shot defensemen. So I, I think those two make too much sense there. So hopefully, you know, they, they make one of those moves or Manson. I like Manson a lot and we'll say Subban is like my number four option in terms of a realistic possibility. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's uh, that all works. What's the next question? Next one from Justin three of four, his third of four questions. And I think he's an inquisitive fella, Justin. He is a very, very much so. Well, this one will be nice and quick and easy. Best option for Portillo's rights now that he has a chance to leave next season. Trade him this offseason, move him. He's got high value, include him in a deal to go get somebody. Boom, done. Do you agree? Uh, This is one of those things that I wish we had more inside knowledge on. Like Kevin Adams maybe can take the temperature on this, or maybe scouts or someone can just be like, does he just want to leave? If he just wants to leave, then yeah, get rid of him. Right. If, or if he's non-committal, that's he's non-committal, what same saying. thing. If he's like, listen, I just want this last chance to win, and then I'm signing with you. Then I think, but that, that would be a stupid thing for Portillo to do, even. Right. So, I, it's worth pointing out, as I have before, it's still worth it for Portillo to sign after the season. Oh yeah, it's more I, worth it than not. If if it's all the same to him where he plays, which obviously it it's not all the same to most people where they play. So if Portillo is just, let's say he's is fine playing in Buffalo as anywhere else. It's not just as good or easy to go to free agency for two reasons, just in case people that aren't aware of this one Portillo, let's say they lose in whenever in the tournament or they win the national championship comes to Buffalo signs that burns a year of his ELC. He's one year closer to free agency, restricted free agency that is. And then eventually unrestricted free agency. Meanwhile, if he doesn't, if he doesn't sign at Buffalo, he's not a free agent on July 1st when all the money gets spent and everyone decides what their team's going to look like. He's a free agent on August 15th after all the dust is settled. That's mm-hmm. not a good time to be a free agent. And he still has to, he's not exactly a real UFA. He still has uh, limits on how much money he can make like a restricted free agent. The difference is he can just, he's unrestricted in where he can sign, but not how much money he can sign for. So Unless he just really wants to leave. In that case, yes, I would agree. Trade him. So kind of, I, I kind and, of have to see what, what the, the, the deal is with him though. And we'll also say too, power had said coming out also that with Portillo that he wanted to stay to finish getting his degree. But again, that's, I don't know. I just have pause with that because it's like, that's something you can do in the off season and your entire team is leaving. Like wh- why wouldn't you also want to go and start getting paid? I, I don't know. And plus, the other side of that too. You literally cost yourself millions of dollars. That's what I'm by saying. staying two extra years. Well, not I'm not saying. staying two extra years, but burning two years of your eligible or not right. burning, refusing to burn two years of eligibility. Right, and from the Sabres' perspective too, 
from what we've heard, and obviously none of us can get ahead of ourselves with this, but it feels as though Devin Levi is going to sign. Like he just wanted to go back for one more year and then they wanted to run it back once at Northeastern. And then he's going to come back after they still have his rights for two more years. So you do not have to hit the panic button with him in the way you do with Portillo. All I'm going to say with it is that I do think it is worthwhile if there is the, if you know that he wants to come back or as he's, or he wants to come here and he's expressed that, then yeah, obviously see it through. But if there's even a shadow of a doubt, use him as a trade chip in a larger deal. Yeah, I agree with that. Also, hey, definitely, we all want one more year of college, pal. Yeah, right. (laughs) Get in line. Uh, All right, last one from Justin. Uh, Rosen signing his ELC follow-up. Yeah, so it's good because they were doing him no favors over there in terms of ice time. He was kind of a forgotten guy. And they actually got sent down to Swedish juniors to, to actually get on the ice uh, and then eventually got hurt. So right. at, least, at the very least in Rochester, he's going to get consistent ice time. He's going to get good minutes. He'll be on the power play and stuff. He'll be, I assume, the number one guy on the team next year that they're focused on developing because Paterka, Quinn, and Krebs will all be up, I, I think. So with those guys, you know, you're placing, we talked about this, replenishing your depth. So you always have someone in Rochester that you have an eye on. Of course, you have a lot of guys that you're hoping to develop, quote unquote, but this is someone that's a little bit more important than the rest of them. Right, right. I I think it makes sense for the Sabres to make this move now. The thing to remember too, though, is that it was reported and I believe Chris Baker had retweeted somebody that had said that his contract has a European assignment clause, which is similar to what Roostalainen had. And I believe Allmark too, when they had loaned him back. So there is the possibility that he could, they could keep him overseas for one more year. But what it ultimately does though, is that it just gives the Sabres more of a hand in his development and more of a say on it in it as well. Um, when you look at a guy like Rosen, yeah, like you said, he did not get the ice time that he, that we at least all would have wanted him to get last year. And that I'm sure the Sabres wanted him to get as well. He looked a little bit overwhelmed, but that's just a matter of rounding out his game more because when he gets put up against his peers and people, his own age, he's scoring and he's dominant. You know, the things that make him the prospect that he is, is that he's a good skater and he has a good quick shot too. So those are two very valuable things that translate into the NHL. So I think for me, it would be great to have him in Rochester next year. I don't know necessarily how like quote unquote ready he would be, but I would just say that even though he couldn't stick this year, next year is a new page. And I don't necessarily think that we need to feel as though if he stays overseas another year, he's going to be resigned to the same fate that he was this year. So there's a chance that he, he stays overseas one more year and ends up getting ample playing time over there and ends up growing his game and it could, everything could be fine. Or alternatively, if the Sabres feel like that might not be in the cards, then just bring him over to Rochester. Yeah. Yep. All right. Next up, a fellow that I'm, I'm sorry that you share this name with uh, another unfortunate human being. This next one's from Alex Jones. Not to be confused with InfoWars, Alex Jones. This is the cool Alex Jones, everybody. But Alex had asked, wow. what is the floor slash ceiling for the Sabres next year? So I'll go first on this, Taylor. My eyes, I think the floor is 80 points for them and their ceiling is 90. You have to expect somewhat of a step from the Sabres. So them getting to 80 points would be a five-point improvement. 90 in my eyes is their absolute best case scenario. 
because that would be asking them to be roughly like six, seven, eight games above 500, which I think is a big app. That would be a monumental step if they're able to do that next year. So I think 90 points is like as generous as I could be for what the Sabres could potentially do next year, assuming that they have a great off season, all goes according to plan. It would be a ridiculous jump, but six or seven or eight games above 500, I think is the absolute, like all the stars align, the best case scenario for what we could see. What do you got? I think the floor is way lower. I always think the floor is lower. It's just a fact of life that it's easier for things to go significantly wrong than it is for them to go significantly right in unexpected ways. So like you have injuries, bad goaltending. What if they strike out in the goaltending market and they're even worse at goaltending than they were this year? I mean, they, they didn't really, they, they did a good job turning things around in the second half, even with goaltending that was occasionally suspect. But what if they get like 890 goaltending all year? What if they have a rash of injuries? What if they just have bad luck? They could be in the low 60s. Well, no doubt they could be in the low 60s. Right, but I'm not, uh, I'll say with me saying 80 and them taking that step, that's not keeping in mind the possibility of injuries. Like obviously if like Darlene and Tuck and Skinner go down in the first two months, or Thompson for whatever, you know, like that obviously changes things, but I'm just saying in terms of like, if they stay healthy where I think it can go. So I just wanted to point that out at least, Yeah, but, but there's that, but obviously you do need to take that in consideration as well. Yeah. There's, there's levels of health. So if, if there's, it's not just like, um, because at some point you're going to have guys out or whatever, it's that kind of league. So I guess if, if you're on the bad end of that spectrum, that, that hurts. And then I guess the other thing is like percentages. It's just PDO. It happens uh, every year. It, it's happened to the Sabres before. I mean, the 2017-18 Sabres were not a good team, but were they really a 61-point team? Not really. Mm-hmm. Or like think of the opposite of the 10-game winning streak happen, happening or a bad overtime record or shootout record. So there's always those things that could go wrong. Uh, I'm kind of with you. I would expect them to take a step into the 80s. And... And then, well, so on the positive side, erring on the side of things going right. Like I said, there's a limit to that. So much could go wrong. You could have, oh my God, everything could go wrong. What realistically could go right that you don't expect? Better goaltending than you would expect. Better shooting percentages, better health. Kind of the opposite of that. And in that case, or and also unexpected development. So let's say Darlene takes a leap they don't expect. Cousins, one of their best candidates to take that kind mm-hmm. of leap. Quinn is immediately a good scorer, things like that. Yeah, they could be in the mid nineties. Absolutely. Like first the team that I always think of when I, when I think of teams that are young and making a leap, that is both a leap of talent, but also a huge leap of luck is the 2013, 14 Colorado avalanche who had 113 points and it took them like five years to get back to hundred points, maybe even more than five or six years. I don't remember. Like they, they just had the, one of the best possible seasons they could have had. Uh, so that could happen too, but you're not going to get like, first of all, the Sabres aren't as talented as that team. They're not getting 113 points, even if they're super lucky. Uh, but like, you're never going to get like 120 points as an 80 point yeah. team where if you're, if you're an 85 point team talent wise, or like how you should be, you could easily fall into the fifties with the right combination of bad things happening to you. Anyway. So that's why I, I think a floor ceiling, it's always so hard to answer in hockey, especially. Absolutely. No, that's definitely fair. That's definitely fair. Thanks for the question, Alex. All right. Next up. 
Alex at, Jones is just always asking the questions. He's a big Sabres fan. At where is Sinjin asked, are the Sabres in play for a big time free agent like Johnny Goudreau? I will start and say no for a lot of reasons. Namely, they've shown that they're not going to build that way. They don't want to build that way. And if a big name were to come in, it's going to be through a trade. Mm, yeah, not Johnny Goudreau. There's no way he wants to come here. Uh, who knows if he stays in Calgary or not? I think it would be good if he did. I think Calgary has built something interesting there and didn't go well in the second round this year, but there's no reason to think they couldn't be a cup contender next year. So if he does leave, I don't know. So I assume he'd want to go somewhere because they've never been, he's never been to a conference final. He's been in and out of the playoffs. He's been in anonymity in one of the smaller markets on the West coast. I got to think he wants to go somewhere where he can, he has an obvious chance at winning, makes good money and maybe a little, let's say hmm, combination of a little bit more notoriety than Calgary. And also let's say a nicer place to live. Not that Calgary is not nice, but same thing, same deal as us. It's not really nice weather during hockey season. Yeah. And it's not as happening as some markets. So I don't know where that lands him. I've seen people cause he's from the area generally. And I think he grew up as a flyers fan suggest the flyers, which to that LOL, can the flyers afford him one and two? Why the hell would he go there? I don't one of the last places I would go. Uh, I don't know. I don't know where he's going to go, but luckily that wasn't the question. The question is, could the Sabres get him? And I'd say the answer is pretty clearly. No, the Sabres have had a lot of trouble historically with free agents are, do you know, our all-time leading point scorer as a UFA is Kyle Oposo, right? Kyle Oposo. And if you look at the all-time list, it is bleak. So it's, it's been a, a bad run, bad run of free agents. And I think Kevin Adams uh, is kind of committed to building this team deliberately, not rushing anything. And I don't know how many big time free agents would even really want to come to Buffalo. I'm not even, I don't know. Right. And I think at this stage of the game, not many. Yeah. And I think also you're seeing more and more guys are signing before they get to free agency or like kind of maybe force a trade to, or, or the team decides to trade them because they're not going to sign them. Like there's very few guys that, are like Gaudreau and just are that good and also get to free agency. Yeah, definitely. All right. Thank you very much for that question. Next up, we have primetime Meigs. He's got a few questions for us, Taylor. Top trade candidates. I will hop in and just say, because I already talked about two of them, Dumba and Severson, I think make a lot of sense. And straight up Sabres, darling, trade idea, PLD. Maybe like another guy too. That's like with like Philly is another example of a team that like really disappointing. Like, can you get Travis Konechny out of there? I would absolutely look into seeing it, like wanting him. Um, but I would say PLDs at the top of my list: Dunbar, Severson, and then yeah, Konechny as a as a possibility as well. Mm, I read this question wrong. I thought he meant candidates for trades for people that are on the Sabers already. Oh, people that the Sabers would trade. Yeah, I read that completely wrong. So I guess I have a different answer. Take the other side of it. The three guys are Bjork, Olsen, and Middlestat. So Bjork is, we've talked about this before, but a guy that you would dump because you don't have room for him because it's like, they already have like 13 forwards for next year. And who knows if they bring back Henestroza, you can just dump Bjork at that point. He, you can eat some of the money and you could do the kind of trade where it's like uh, future considerations, but then you actually get nothing for him. Olsen and Middlestat, we've talked about these guys as well, but that's just the the simple thing of 
they the Sabres have so many forwards and they have to open up spots for Paterka, Quinn, and Krebs. And these are guys that would both fetch, I think, a decent return. Middlestad is a guy that then you don't really have to make, make a decision on. Whereas Olofsson had a really strong end to last year and he's a 20 goal scorer and a power play specialist. Boy, a lot of teams could use that. Hey, the Florida Panthers. Do you guys have some trouble with power plays in the playoffs? Boy, do I have a guy for you. He played really well, Sam Reinhardt. And don't you want to give us a second round pick and a prospect for him? Thanks. Great doing business with you. All right. Wow. That was, there we go. All right. Shall we move on to the next question of primetime Meigs, which is best realistic possibility of all three draft picks. And then a follow-up to that was what trio could best benefit the Sabres. Do you want me to take this one? Yeah. Okay. We talked about this a couple episodes ago. So if you haven't listened, go back and find that episode where we kind of go through and do our early run through of who we like in the draft coming up with the Sabres three picks, but just to go through at eight, I really like Joaquin Kemmel, Matt Savoy or Frank Nazar Kemmel or Savoy. They're the top two picks in my mind for who could potentially fall, but that is all predicated on the draft board getting weird. And one of the two of them falling, as we've said, which happens every year, like every year, there is always one or two guys that were like, how did they end up falling to, you know, this end of the top 10 pick or in the teens or whatever it may be. So if something weird happens and one of those guys are available, it's a slam dunk. Frank Nazar, I like just because he's a center uh u.s national development player he plays with speed he's a hard worker so yeah i I like him there um for 16 marco casper i really 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 like and if the sabers are picking at 16 and have the ability to move up a couple of spots even to like get him if casper's not going to be if he's going to go beforehand i would do that like i i really really like the player the more i look into him the more i watch of him i i just think that Casper, he's not going to be a top line center, but I think he has the potential. And I know we have a hundred, not a hundred, but we have a bunch of second line centers right now. I I just like Casper a lot. I think that he is a really solid player and he's going to end up being a really solid NHLer. Uh, Also at 16, a couple of other centers, Connor Geeky. That's a move there where you're going to go for a guy who has maybe a lower ceiling, but a higher floor. He's got a huge frame not the best skater, but again, he's got a lot of NHL tools there. So I think he could be a very interesting pick at 16. And then Brad Lambert, as we have talked about, and as many of you know, he a year or two ago was thought to be a potential lottery pick. And he ended up kind of falling out of favor, didn't have the best year this year, but he's still projected to be, uh, we'll just call it a top 20 pick. So that's a guy that I would absolutely be interested in taking a flyer on really just because again, like I, I think the fact that the Sabres as of now, we'll see if one of them gets traded, but the fact that they have three first round picks gives you the flexibility of getting weird and taking a swing on a guy that maybe has fallen out of favor or maybe is a, uh, a project pick. Another guy too, uh, that I'll say at 16, that's a possibility is Daniil Yurov out of Russia. There's some issues there with when he would want to come over and everything, but um, that's another name to keep in mind there. If he ends up being around then at 28, my top option that I would really like for them to go after is Ryan Chesley, who is a right-handed defenseman from also from the U S national development program. Again, you're filling a need there with right-handed defensemen in the system. Uh, I think that he has some real upside there for them. And I don't know necessarily if he'll be there at 28. I don't think that it's a guarantee one way or the other, but I really like him there. Uh, Forward, a a fellow American, Jimmy Snuggerud, 
uh, Snugger Rudd, excuse me. Uh, he's a winger, scoring winger for them that, again, just, you know, taking a flyer on a guy that could end up being a good goal-scoring piece. And then finally, my third one, Ivan Miroshenko out of Russia. We talked about him when we had done our draft preview quite a bit, actually, where he was a guy that was going to be far and away was going to be a top five pick, a lottery pick. He had some very serious health issues. I believe he was battling Hodgkin's lymphoma, but he is in remission from that as far as we know. And all reports say that he is going to make a full recovery there again. The flexibility of having three first rounders, if you have the ability for a, a situation like this, where a guy that, you know, this is a, a very, I don't know if you want to call it unusual circumstance, but th this isn't something that happens very often where you have somebody getting this serious of a, a health issue coming up right before the draft year. And obviously, and understandably that affects his draft stock. But again, you have these three picks. If he is available at 28 and Chesley's available, I would think long and hard about taking him over Chesley, honestly, just because of the possible ceiling that you could get out of a guy like that. Then uh, just to go into the follow-up to that, what trio of picks would best benefit the Sabres? Again, just going by hitting all the needs, I would say if they were to go Kemmel, Casper, and Chesley. Kemmel, you get a goal-scoring winger who has a really high ceiling there. Casper, again, I think that he is going to be a legitimate top six center, um, top six forward, like probably a, a really good second line center in this league. And Chesley fills the need at right-handed defenseman there. So then the last question that we have from Primetime Meigs is the top free agent ads this year, or do you wait until 2023 until they make a splash? And I'll let you take this one. I just want to say, though, I would wait until 2023 because even if a few of the names uh, of the guys who are available don't re-sign with their respective teams, that could be a crazy, crazy free agent class with some of the high power talent at the top of that list. Just a couple of names to throw out to like, again, it, it's not exactly the most likely thing, but David Pasternak, Bo Horvat, JT Miller, Timo Meyer, like there are some names there. Um, other guys that are obviously going to resign like McKinnon and Jonathan Huberdeau are on the list as well. But 2023 has the makings of being a very, very, very special UFA class. If even like two or three of those guys don't end up resigning. Yeah. I I'm looking at the, the, the roster now, like that could be a, the potential roster for next year. I just don't really see a lot of room to add free agents out, outside of goalie. We mentioned right. how many forwards they already have, even if they trade Bjork and one other guy they're, they're who knows what you're trading them for. And then also like, you're still going to have basically the 12 forward spots filled out. So in terms of big free agents, I don't really see it. And then even on defense, it's like you get someone to play with power. That's a, an important, important move this off season. Outside of that, you're going to looking at power, power partner, Darlene, Yoki Haru, Bryson Samuelson. That's six. You're not looking at a big free agent for seven. It could be like Mark Pezik. You're bringing back Mark Pezik. Who knows? You could be bringing back, well, you're not going to bring back Colin Miller, but you could bring it someone at the Robert Hag level, like, or, or maybe, I don't know, look at what they have in Rochester. I'm not really sure if that's actually a viable option. So I don't really see free agency. And I agree with you because I also think that next year you're going to have a much better idea of what you are because this year was kind of all over the place for a few reasons. I mean, Omicron injuries, goaltending early on. And then once they got a, a decently healthy lineup, 
a lineup that looked like a normal NHL lineup with goaltending that at least wasn't killing them. They looked good to end the year. The last third of the season, I thought they were really impressive. And a lot of people thought they were impressive and they had good vibes and they liked each other. So I think you kind of roll on that going to the next year while you add Quinn and Crab or Quinn and Paterka, I should say. And then you also add power and you, whoever power's partner is and see what happens, especially with hopefully improved goaltending. And after that, that's when you start to look at like, we're going into 23, 24. We need to make the playoffs. What do we need to add? Right. Right. All right. Shall we move on to the next? Yep. Here's a fun handle at Mike bitch. Mike gave us a two-parter and I'm going to go first because I want to answer these questions together. The first question is, should the Sabres trade away a package of current parentheses and possibly loved and parentheses forward for an impact forward if such a package is available and also create room for youngsters? And then the follow-up was also what young players are out there that the Sabres could target in a trade market to add to the core. So it all depends on the type of player that we're talking about here because it's so hard to answer a question like this. There are guys who are impending RFAs that have maybe here or there at some point or another been mentioned as possibility. And if any of these guys are available, then I would absolutely entertain it. The guys who I'm talking about, of course, well, for one PLD, I mean, he's at the top of the list. I think that making a move there, but I don't know necessarily if you have to do a package of players for him, but some of the other names, like guys who are going to be 2023 RFAs, Matt Barzell, Anthony Sorelli, and Alex DeBrincat. Barzell probably is going to stick around in the island because he's kind of the centerpiece there and like the main young piece, and they really don't have a great youth movement coming up. However, Sorelli. Oh, well, well, well. Who do they have, though? Lane Lambert, right? They do. That's huge. Why have Barry Trotz when you can have Lane Lambert? Yeah, good for them. Good luck there. Uh, but Sorelli's case, though. Interesting because Tampa is a cap strapped team and, and Sorelli is going to deservedly so have a payday on his hands. DeBrincat, unbelievable player, but at the same time, Chicago seems like they are in the midst of potentially blowing it up. Kane and Taze are going to be UFAs in 2023, and we'll see if they end up re-signing and keeping them around. But is DeBrincat an option? Like if, I would make a huge move for DeBrincat if he was available and would be okay with sending some big name guys out the door for a guy that could be a perennial 40 goal scorer for you. Um, and then another name too, that he's probably going to resign, but Calgary's going to have some tough decisions to make because as we had mentioned, Johnny Goudreau is out there, Matthew Kachuk. I don't know if he's an option, if he will be like, what's going to happen there. Like, because Goudreau had an MVP level season this year and is going to get paid Big time. Again, this is, as I had mentioned before, this is me putting on like my NHL video game GM mode hat with this, but those are just some guys that like would be pie in the sky options that I would be willing to break up some of the, the younger as this, as, uh, as Mike had mentioned, quote unquote, beloved players for, to, to make a move for one of them. What are you, what are your thoughts? Mm, I've, like I said, I kind of want to roll with what they have unless there's something crazy that comes up, I I'd like to see like what the group looks like next year. Right. Well, I agree with that. I just still think though, and I, I'm sure you would agree that they are that dynamic top of the lineup piece away still. They don't have that right now. Yeah. So if you have an opportunity to do that, I think you, 
I think you make a move in that case, but I just, those, those opportunities can be few and far between. I wish 24 year old Ryan O'Reilly was available now. Hey, instead of 34 year old Ryan O'Reilly is going to be available at the end of next season. Hmm. No, I think he's going to pass on his return. I would also think that as well, but I will say though, and we can get into this now because we had a couple of people who had asked this question. If we want to talk about PLD, because we absolutely can. And I think that but he's before guy. we do, let's give me some fucking draft Kings, baby. Let's go. Let's, yeah. Let's hear a word from our sponsors. So draft Kings, you know, it's the NHL playoffs folks. Uh, it's that time of year. It's the conference finals even. So the pursuit of the Stanley Cup is on and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer for the most exciting playoffs in sports. New customers can bet just $5 in any team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what, win or lose. So looking to turn a a small bet into a big payday during the playoffs? With DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more. It's your shot at an even bigger payout. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet $5 on any NHL team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's code THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details and responsible gambling resources. So before we move on, you know what? No, I'll save this for the end of the show. Let's let's move back on to P- PDL, PLD, Jesus, PDL, PLD. Uh, so we've we've done a almost a whole episode on him, and then we mentioned him a, a second time in another episode. So do you want to just do the Cliff Notes version of? Um, why you want PDL and people can look back on that episode, which I would say is somewhere between three or four weeks ago. Sure. And I just also want to give a shout out to, to the folks who had asked about this, Jake Herto. Uh, he had asked, what do you think would be a realistic ask from Winnipeg for PLD? And would this be a strong addition to the blue and gold in your opinion? And then Matt Scott had asked, what would you trade for PLD and who would you start in goal next year? We obviously talked about the goalies, but yeah, I think with PLD, what it comes down to is, you are getting a legitimate top line center. PLD isn't going to be the guy. He's not, he's not McDavid. He's not McKinnon, but he works in my eyes as a first line center on a team that has depth that you are able to get really solid, consistent secondary scoring. I think that you have the offensive production there. People have differing opinions on how his defense is. I think that some people, I think he falls a little bit in the middle where some people are too on the negative about his defense. And then some people are maybe a little bit too positive about it. I think that he's just like, okay, defensively. I think he's solid defensively and that's okay. He is a physical presence. He again plays with, along with the physicality, I mean, he just has a, a bite to him that you want out of a, a top line center. And again, especially when you are playing with a team with a bunch of younger guys and we're talking about wanting to surround them with physicality, uh, you know, and obviously skill too. And I think he just gives you that perfect mix. I also think that given the situation that you aren't going to have to necessarily break the bank to get him because of the fact that there's a lot of depth right now and you have a lot of assets that you're able to move for him and a lot of a a variation of assets, I should say. So in terms of what I think a deal would look like, 
let's say you do the Vegas pick. So 16th, 16th overall, Ryan Johnson. And then I would even put Isaac Rosen. If you do those three, you're giving up a first round pick and two other first round talents to get a guy that obviously, you know, has the draft pedigree of being a third overall pick. And again, you're, you're trading for a top line center. Like you're going to have to give something up and you're going to have to pay up for a guy like this. And so I, I would look at that as an option. And then, you know, if instead you wanted to trade the ninth overall pick, maybe you go down a level from Rosen and you do nine Ryan Johnson and maybe like a, a prospect like Poltapov or something like that, where less of a, of the pedigree of Rosen, where you're having a first round talent, but Poltapov again is a, a quality, we'll call him like a B level prospect there. I think that, you know, to improve and to get a guy like that, you're going to have to pay up and you're going to have to give something up. And I think it just makes too much sense. If he wants out from Winnipeg, it's also, again, just like the point of what they've been building with the culture and in the room. PLD is a guy that hasn't been able to find his spot and, and stick somewhere. And I think that them going after a guy like that, like that is the reason why you build a room this way. So that obviously it's going to get even better when you bring in guys that are locker room guys. But if there's a guy that maybe hasn't found his spot in the league, this is why you do that so that he comes into this kind of an environment. So I feel as though it's a no brainer for them to make the move for him. What about you? Yeah, I'll pretty much stick with what I said. You know, it comes down to, whether he wants to come here, if he does want to come here, I think you offer a, a decent package for him. It's not the kind of guy that's available all the time. And if he wants to come here and sign a long-term deal here, then you, you try to make it happen. On the other hand, you know, also be on the lookout for other guys. Cause I think PLD is someone that I, I think would fit pretty easily in the top six, but I don't see him. Or as you mentioned, the top level guy that they're missing. I don't really see anyone right now in the top six that I could see, like they win a Stanley cup and that's their best forward. Doesn't, right. No, yeah, that, right that's definitely moment. fair. And I mean, also too, let's just to, to go back into it a bit. I mean, this year, you know, from a points perspective, he had 60 points in 81 games, 28 goals, 32 assists. Uh, and he was, he's, his underlying numbers are solid. His possession numbers are solid. He's a positive possession player with Winnipeg this year. His Corsi four percentage in all situations was 57.4% at even strength. It's 51.6%. Um, you know, I, I think that again, like you know what you're getting out of him and he's young enough still where, yeah, maybe he's not at the point where he's going to grow, but I mean, he's 23 years old right now. So what we're seeing is the player that he is. And you have the ability then to trade for this guy, give him a good contract with term. You can pay him properly and know that you're making an acquisition for somebody that you don't have to worry about in, you know, three, four years for them falling off the face of the earth, 23 years old, like this, he's young still. 60 being a, a 60 point two way guy who plays with the level of physicality he does. And I'll also say too, a lot of the reason why I like him so much aside from him having a cool ass French name is the fact that anytime that I've watched him play, whether it was with Columbus or with Winnipeg, the dude is a bulldozer out there. Like this is a complete eye test thing, but like, my God, he just barrels people. Like he barrels down the ice he is so strong on his skates. He's strong with the puck on his stick. He's good on the forecheck. Like, I don't know. I, I guess I'm so infatuated with him because of the fact that, like I said, anytime I've watched him, I've walked away being really impressed and feeling like, my God, if the Sabres had a guy like that on the team, that would be amazing. So that's where I am with PLD. Shall we move on, Taylor? Yep. A lot of reiterating, but it's the truth. Like you can't say it enough. Like they, they just, they need a guy like that. I think in, in general, like 
again, he's not a, a bona fide superstar, but he is a really good player, a really good player who can absolutely in the right situation, step in and become a star, like a legit bona fide star player. So let's move on now to our other Instagram questions. My name's not Cliff had asked us your thoughts on there not being a Stanley cup playoffs logo painted on the ice inside the blue line anymore. My name is not cliff shirt is answering a lot of questions that are already answered by my shirt. Um, <laughs> so is raising a lot of questions that are already answered by my shirt. So, well, not cliff. I think it, it speaks to the, the long-term dissolution of our, of our culture. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I, it looks bad. I mean, I like those. Those are cool. Yeah. They should do that again. I agree. I agree. Good question. Good to point it out. Not cliff. All right. I want to save your brother's question for last. Cause I think it's a really fun one. So Jacob Foss will go to next Jacob Foss 18 on Instagram that asked, what are realistic expectations out of players like cousins, Darlene and power next year. So let's take these guys one by one. I'll start off and go first with cousins. If you want to take Darlene first, but I would say as far as cousins goes, there needs to be a step with the production. This year was a great learning experience for him. We saw him get some really difficult matchups going up against some of the best players in the world, other teams, top line centers and there were a lot of times where he was holding his own and he looked really solid, you know, but again, I think the other side of that is it's not while he looked good and this was a good year for development for him. You need to see him take a step when it comes to production. So I think that 50 points should be the goal for cousins next year. Yeah. I, I also was going to say the production angle, you know, there's comes a time when you have to do more than hold your own. And I know he's done a lot of good so far. He's been the rare young guy that does a lot of things. Well, he plays a good 200 foot game already. He doesn't panic, doesn't make a lot of mistakes, makes smart plays in the offensive zone. You could see him easily on both the penalty kill or the power play, but it's also like the guy didn't crack 40 points this year. So I think that's, that's kind of the goal. It's not all about points, obviously, and points can be manipulated in some ways, but like he needs to be more productive. He needs to be, I guess more of a finisher or more of an offensive force, not just a guy that makes smart plays, but a guy that like makes a pass that leads to a goal, sets up his teammate in that kind of way or scores, scores dirty goals. If he has to, maybe he's not going to have the best shot in the world, but the way he plays, he plays tough. There's no reason he couldn't get those rebounds and garbage goals and whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. So Darlene, take it. I would say he should be an all-star next season and not, an all-star like this past season because the Sabres have to have someone on the all-star game. He should be a real all-star. People are like, yep, he earned that. Or there's debate like, oh, should it be Darlene or should it be Morgan Riley or whoever for the Atlantic division? He, that's the level of guy he needs to be, I think, to take take another step. That means you know, no real point total in mind, but continue to be a productive guy, continue to be the guy he was for the second half of last year where he was taking over games when he was on the ice and and the, when the puck is on a stick, he's dangerous. He, he can fly through the neutral zone or he can make the right pass. He, he's not, it's not just about getting the puck away from the other team in your own zone. It's about starting the breakout and, and being a guy where it's like the defense is like, Oh, the, the opposing team's defense is like, Oh, he has the puck. Right. Not, not to look the same level as Cal McCarr, but playing like him. Yeah. Uh, so that that's something I would look for, for him. And I like to see, you know, do that at a level where it's reasonable that you can make an all-star game and people aren't like, Oh, why do they have to have someone in the game? Right. 
No, I definitely agree with that. And just to kind of reiterate, I mean, Darlene did take a big step this year down the stretch. So next year, obviously, is going to be even bigger. And I would say, you know, I know you said you didn't want to put a point hole on it, but I would like to see 65 points and see him get stronger and continue to improve his defensive zone presence. We had talked about it down the stretch of the season that it seemed as though he was really starting to play with more physicality this year. And so I want to see that continue to grow. Like, even though he's not a physical player by nature, I want him to carve out that side of his game a little bit more. Like he's never going to be like a, you know, a big hit kind of guy where he's going to be laying people out and people are going to be afraid to get into the crease with him. But again, we, we saw the difference it made when he was using his body more, especially behind the net. That was really the area where it stood out to me the most that he wasn't afraid to get physical behind the net and win those tough battles. And I think hand in hand with that, along with just the willingness to want to use your body, you just, you have to get stronger. And I think that we're going to continue to see that. And on top of that, I want to see more confidence with the puck. You know, the, the you would use Kel McCarr, which I think is a, a very fair example. What makes Kel McCarr so great, aside from his otherworldly talent, is the fact that when you put the puck on his stick, he even if he makes a quick pass, the way that he starts it off, starts off any rush or any possession with the puck, it's as though he's, he could do it himself and, and he can make any play happen that you want. And that's what I really want to see from Darlene is just continuing to have confidence with the puck on a stick and an aggressiveness with the puck on a stick, where even if you have the puck in your own zone right now, and you're waiting for guys to change and you want to start a breakout or whatever it may be, skate that shit up through the neutral zone, be aggressive, stick handle. That, that is why he is such a special talent. It's because he has these otherworldly offensive abilities. And so Granado, I think, has done a great job of not asking him, but telling him to lean into that. So the more and more we see that, I think the better that Darlene is ultimately going to be. And that's really what I want to see out of the gate is just more physicality and not in terms of being like a lughead, but just continuing to build off the physicality that we had saw him display this year. And then on top of that, continuing to grow his confidence with the puck on a stick, which again, we can't say enough. I think that the all-star appearance for him was monumentally important in terms of his just getting his psyche back on track because he really did look like a different player after that. So let, let's hope that we're going to see more of that coming in next year. Do you want to take the start of Owen Power, Taylor? Yeah, so Owen Power next season, he, he'll start the year at 19. He turns 20 pretty early in the season. So not expecting him to be an all-star or anything, especially as a defenseman. And what I really want is him to take on big minutes right away and him to do well in those big minutes, to hold his own, to not look completely overmatched. And when I say big minutes, I don't mean like Ryan Suter minutes, like 28 minutes a game a couple of years ago, or even Risto in like 2016. I mean, like he plays top line minutes, but there's still a decently even spread and he's able to play either the power play or penalty kill. I would say Deline will probably still be the number one power play guy, but I want, I want power quarterbacking power, uh, the second power play unit for sure. Yeah. yeah. And then, Maybe he's on the penalty kill too. I don't know. We'll see. So, you know, playing decent minutes and not looking overwhelmed. I think that's a good first step, looking like a guy that can handle those minutes. And then you go from there because the next season you're 21. And then, you know, maybe the time you're 22, you're 23, you're an all-star level guy. If you have the kind of trajectory he has and show the kind of improvement he did from year one to year two in Michigan. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So for me with power, I mean, I think that it was great that we saw how comfortable he looked really out of the gate as soon as he had signed with the Sabres, but with him being a defenseman, I just think that you can't rush him, even though he did look so comfortable. And I think that it's important that we all 
temper to a certain degree our expectations as he only had a small taste and next year is going to be his first full season and as we've seen with other young players throughout the league not even just on the Sabres it's a long schedule and the travel will definitely be an adjustment for him as it is for for many other players too like I said I'd like to see him quarterbacking the second power play and ultimately just get stronger continue to bulk up continue to work on your skating because he's so intelligent with the puck on his stick and his ability to read plays and make ridiculous stretch passes and outlet passes is elite like his ability to do that is is absolutely top notch and so if you're able to improve your skating and just get a little bit stronger and be able to take on you know some of those harder assignments with the size that he has i mean the points are going to come the two-way game is going to come so i would say for me give him a year let him develop and let him get adjusted to this level of play into this speed of play in the NHL. And once he's ready for 2023, 24, he's going to be looking really, really good. If I had to give a point total. And again, this is totally just like meaningless. It doesn't mean anything. I'd say like 35 points, I think would be great. Yeah. Also, if you look around the league at recent years, there's guys that are young defense when you're like good start, a lot of promise. And then it's just like, it feels like overnight they're a Norris contender. So I'm thinking of like Adam Fox. Yeah. Who was, wasn't even, I guess, really right away considered a big prospect. He was traded. And then it was just like, Oh, good season by him. And then it's, he wins a Norris and now he's in the conference final and he's probably, he's right there with the best players on that team. Uh, and then Kale McCarr is a guy who coming into the league, people were super excited about after what he did in college. And then it was, you know, year one, it's like, ah, good year. Like year two, it's like, this might be the best defenseman I've ever seen. (laughs) So like, there's been a few guys like that. Even Charlie McAvoy like came in and he's less flashy than those two, but it's, he was like, everyone agreed was a good pick by the Bruins. And now a lot of people, especially advanced stat people would, would say that he's a easily top 10 defenseman. God, can you imagine taking a shitty forward instead of Charlie McAvoy in that draft? Mm. We might be getting to him in just a second. Oh, interesting. Well, let's end it here then. Our final question we have to attribute to the handsomest fan of all, Mr. Torin Nigrelli, Taylor's brother, wonderful human being, friend, listener of the pod. He had a great question, but it wasn't a question. Torin says, not a question, but create your worst possible starting five plus goalie from the drought era. Would you like to go first, Taylor? Or would you like me to go first? Uh, I'll go first. I, so as a ground rule for this, I used any guy that appeared in the drought era as it just so happens, the guys I have all only played in the drought. They didn't play for any Sabres playoff teams. And the other rule was the guys had to play at least 20 games. So no random scrubs from Rochester that came up for a couple games had to play at least 20 and everyone that I have, I believe played well, all but one played at least half a season. So there's a, a few things I considered. I, I try to think of um, context a little bit. If the guy played a lot, if the guy was given big responsibility, that like hurts him even more if he was terrible in those big responsibilities. Uh, one is that you might notice, I'm not sure what, 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 how Brandon handled this, but I didn't have John Scott on mine, even though I think he's probably the, the least talented skater the Sabres have had maybe ever. Uh, my reasoning is that John Scott was brought in purely to be a fighter. And I know he actually had to play hockey just the way things work. There's only four lines, but he was not brought into play hockey. He was brought into win fights and he did. That was a bad idea, I think, but 
that's why he was brought there. Whereas other guys are brought in for grit. Mm. And those guys are meant to be tough to play against. And sometimes guys that are gritty are tough to play against. A lot of times they're not. A lot of times guys skate on the reputation of being gritty, but they actually aren't that tough to play against for one reason or another. And I think that if you're, if your whole thing is that you're hard to play against, but you actually aren't an effective defensive player, even if you hit a lot and you throw crazy good hits or you, you, you shove guys around after the play, then you're not actually good at your job and you're definitely eligible for this. So with that having been said, uh, I have Zenin Kanapka, the bunny man himself, centering yeah, uh, Vlad Sabaka and John Hayden as my forwards. So Kanapka, that's a guy that was kind of stretching my definition because he's kind of a fighter, but he didn't really fight that much in Buffalo. And I think he was really... He was there during the, not the tank season, the season prior to, because they had to have someone play forward uh, and they had, they threw some of their younger guys like Gergensen's and Grigorenko. Uh, well, Grigorenko, at least I believe was back in Rochester that year. And Larson, I think was as well. And they're like, who the hell's going to play forward when you have injuries, all this stuff. And they got rid of Corey Trop. Anyway, so they needed a guys. I mean, they there's other guys I can mention here in my honorable mentions that they needed. So, like, he was there to play hockey. It ended up that he, I believe, tested positive for steroids and never played in the NHL again. So, Sabaka and Hayden. Sabaka, that's tough. It definitely hurts that he was part of the O'Reilly trade and was expected to come in and contribute right away and then was immediately one of the worst forwards in the NHL. Hurts even more that he was brought back the next year and even played some games in the second line. Thanks, Ralph Kruger. <laughs> So Sabaka, not not one I love talking about, uh, unless we're talking about uh, the wonderful family from the season two of The Wire. And then we've John Hayden, who I went back and forth on him as well, just because there aren't that many terrible right wings. Weirdly, I went through all the right wings; <laughs> they really weren't that bad. I'll go over who I had my honorable mentions in a second, but not bad. So John Hayden just had a season where he played for the Sabers. Uh, one of the more invisible 55 game seasons I've ever seen. He played 55 games. He had four points. I would say he falls under the allegedly tough to play against, but not actually tough to play against thing and is a total zero on offense to a ridiculous degree. And not even a really guy that would fight that much. I mean, he's fought, he fought this year. Don't get me wrong, but guys don't really fight that much anymore. So it's not really worth having a guy around because he's good at fighting. I don't know what he was supposed to be good at. I guess it was, Granado liked him from Chicago and the U.S. development program, so he was around. So that's my forwards, my defensemen. I believe these guys actually probably did play together in their time here. That was Tyson Strachan and Andre Benoit. Benoit was brought in um, because they needed a defenseman to tank here, so they brought him in on a one-year deal knowing that he sucked. Very funny. Good job, Tim Murray. <laughs> Strachan. Tyson Strachan was brought in, I think, as a two-way guy and was meant to be a Rochester defenseman. The thing I always remember with him is that Matthew Collar, formerly of WGR, tweeted that he didn't think that was a good signing for Rochester. As it turned out, it didn't matter because he was playing in Buffalo for most of the year. Played about half the season there, and I'm sure at some point Strachan and Benoit uh, were paired up. I know Benoit also played with Mazaros that year, who was also could have been taken under consideration here. Uh, and then goaltender, who else could it be than Carter Hutton? Three years in Buffalo, was pretty bad in all of them, was basically unplayable in his last year. But in his second year, uh, started really well. The Sabres started 8-1-1. One, and one. He had back-to-back shutouts at that point. Great October. And then from November 
for basically the end of the season, he was horrific. I think he was the apt, in my opinion, the absolute worst goalie in the NHL that year. The Sabres actually did a pretty okay job at limiting good chances that year. One of the only things they did well as a team, and it didn't matter because Hutton just got yammed on by pretty much everyone. And I believe he won one game his last year. And I think he won, he went like three and 20 after October that other year. So the team is Senna Kanopka centering Vladimir Sabaka and John Hayden defensive pair of Tyson Strachan and Andre Benoit and Carter Hutton and net. Uh, Do you want to do yours or should I read my honorable mentions first? I'll do mine. We do honorable mentions after. Okay. All right. I, for mine, will go the opposite direction first. Uh, oddly enough, actually, we did not collab on these lists either, but I also in goal had Carter Hutton for the reasons you all mentioned. I think it's, it's pretty remarkable uh, just how bad he really was. And amazingly, there's a lot to choose from, but I also had Tyson Strachan and Andre Benoit as my two defensemen. So again, I don't really need to give much more of, of an explanation than that. Uh, and my forwards are a little bit different though. I also had Sabatka as well, but I would be remiss. We as a podcast would be remiss if we did not also include Billy Lano and his historic 2014 season that saw him have zero goals and 15 assists. Unbelievable. And For centering six those- million or four and a half million. Was it six years? Four and a half million a year. Yep. And I had Kanapka was my first alternate. Well, him and John Scott were my first alternates, but centering those two jabronis, who else? <laughs> but Cody Eakin. Yeah, I really thought about him too. Who's your honorable mentions? Um, so like I said, right wing was pretty barren, partially because Alex Nylander only played 19 games for the Sabres, meaning he was ineligible for my list. Uh, I didn't, I, I couldn't consider him. So the only other guy I was considering for right wing was Matt D'Agostini. Um, now, when I read off my centers, you might notice that not all these guys played center and a lot of them actually played maybe right wing, but these are the guys I'm saying that are primarily listed as right wing, like on hockey reference and whatever. So Matt D'Agostini he actually ran yep. their power play for a little while. Yikes. Uh, Leno, as Brendan mentioned, just you have to consider the contract and everything it meant and the, the just tremendous disappointment. Only scored 10 goals as a saver after getting paid $27 million. That's tough. John Scott's an honorable mention, but I explained why he wasn't there. Anders Bjork just missed out at left wing. Uh, <laughs> and speaking of uh, invisible seasons. Jesus. It's center. Good Lord. Not Like I said, not all these guys played center for the Sabres, but they were primarily centers. Uh, behind Kanavka, I had Steve Ott, Mikhail Grigorenko, Zach Dalby, Derek Grant, Nick Delorier, Jordan Nolan, Jacob Josephson, Patrick Berglund, and Cody Eakin. Mm. Jordan Nolan played 68 games as a Buffalo Sabre. Yikes. Yeah, Jordan uh, Nolan definitely should be up there. He was pitifully bad. Yeah, that was a terrible season. That was the same season that had Josephson, and I didn't even include this guy, but Seth Griffith was also on that same Sabres team. The wow. team had the worst depth of all time. I wonder if they were terrible. Seth Griffith, that's a name right there. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and then my defenseman, uh, besides Benoit and Strachan, I had Jamie McBain. Yep. Uh, Matt Irwin. Will Butcher. And all things considered, I have to throw out Risto just because, not because he's as bad as these other guys. He'd be easily the best player in this kind of lineup, but just – the everything, the, 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 the trades that were turned down, the the 
amount of time he played, his total heck of commitment to ever changing anything about his game. Yikes. And then the only honorable mention I had in Nets, uh, in fact, I didn't have one. The only one I considered was Dell, but he didn't play 20 games, so I didn't, I couldn't have him. I didn't really have anyone that competes with Hutton during this era, no, honestly. Well, we actually, Taylor, oddly enough, while we were recording just moments ago, had received a last-minute submission, which is an oh. interesting one. Nate Wolf on Instagram had asked, will Dylan Cousins still be here in five years if he stays? How has he elevated his game, and what role does he play if he leaves? What would you guys trade for him, and what flaws would they address? I will say he will be here in five years. He's going to elevate his game by being a best-case scenario. Let's call him a 60-point lockdown two-way center that is their firmly their second line center maybe even third depending on you know if they get pld and they run pld tage and cousins down the middle but obviously cousins will end up having the ice time of a second line forward as well just with the way that you could distribute that but i'm gonna say yes he will be here in five years and i feel very confident because of his two-way game and his defensive prowess that he will be able to figure it out i agree uh uh, yeah, so I think to answer the question, I haven't really considered the idea of trading Cousins, so I don't know what to say to that. But I do think he's here in five years, and I think what you want to say elevated is kind of what we talked about earlier. It's really just the offensive game. It's you know actually scoring or either well, scoring more for sure, and then also setting up guys more, and maybe maybe he'll also get more power play time going forward. Who knows? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, Taylor, do you have any last thoughts before we sign off for this episode? Yeah, what I was going to say earlier is that Marion Barber died. Really? Yeah, I just saw it. No cause of death yet. Wow, that's a football throwback. Yeah, 38. He would have been 39 next week. Damn, he, uh, yeah, I remember. So he actually, I was looking at his numbers. Pretty good touchdown guy back in the day. I remember there was a weird thing uh, with the Cowboys in the mid-2000s where it was like they signed Eddie George. Remember Eddie George? Mm. Uh but he had had like a, a billion miles in his body. So he like immediately lost his job to Julius Jones. And then within like two years, Julius Jones looked like he wasn't the same guy. And Marion Barber took his job. And then like Barber got his job taken by, was it Felix Jones or I forgot who even ran through there. Felix Jones would have been one of the guys. Anyway, DeMarco Murray's another one. Yeah. I guess it just, it was an early lesson than what happens to NFL running backs. You know, wow. they kind of run through them quick, but yeah, Barber was good. Darren McFadden? Well, he was a Raider. He played for the Cowboys. McFadden did? Yeah. When? Dude, I'm telling you right now he did. After the Raiders. Hold on. When when Marion Barber did at the same time? It was right around there, yeah. McFadden was with the Cowboys from 2015 on 2015 it was not around then then wait when was barber there barber's last year's a starter was 09 his last year's a cowboy is 2010 oh okay well DeMar- when i mean no way demarco murray was there at the same time right yeah demarco murray was there he, him and barber would have played there i think probably took over in 2010 i should just look at the 2010 2011 so that was his first year his first year with Dallas was 2011. Yes. All right. Then there's a, there's a bridge I'm missing and it's going to be on this team. Let's see. I just heard you say, I remember that DeMarco Murray. Oh, Felix Jones. And Oh my God. Wow. That's a name. Yeah. I did say Felix um, Jones, but I didn't, I didn't know he was actually sorry. Okay. So that's the bridge. Barbara to Felix Jones to, to Murray. Uh, was McFadden the starter in Dallas? I thought it went Murray to uh, Ezekiel Elliott, but 
I think McFadden and him were there. They both left in 2017, if I'm not mistaken. And I know McFadden definitely in, yeah, his first year in Dallas, he was the starter. He rushed for a thousand yards. Look at that. Wow. You want an impromptu trivia question? Give it to me. Uh, so McFadden and Felix were uh, college teammates. They were in the same backfield. Do you know who the third running back was in the same backfield in Arkansas? I feel like I do, but I'm blanking on it. Who is it? It is Peyton Hillis. Peyton Hillis. That's a name. Former Madden cover athlete. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, any so, last thoughts, Taylor? Well, do you have any recommendations? I recommend Obi-Wan Kenobi. Everybody should watch that show. I'll talk more about it after I watch the third episode. I'll talk more about that on Sunday, but that'll be my recommendation for Sunday. And I'll just tease it right now. But what do you got? Oh, before I say this, okay, this is why I don't remember Darren McFad being on the Cowboys that year, because when he was a starter, they had Matt Castle start seven games, Ooh. Uh, went one and six and had, oh boy, five touchdowns and seven starts. And in his seven starts, had only 1,276 yards, and but got sacked 14 times at least. That's great. Seven interceptions. Yikes. I should remember more about that because I actually did see the Cowboys in person that year in Buffalo in a terrible, terrible game that was like 10 to 6 where Kellen Moore started a quarterback. Good God. Yeah, Bills won. Uh, so, yeah, my recommendation is I saw Top Gun on Monday night, and wow, what a time. What a time at the movies, Top Gun. It was yeah. – yeah, I so I was trying to see it in IMAX. I I heard you know the recommendation because you know they they're actually flying these planes in the movie. So a lot of people recommend that kind of viewing experience. And on Monday I couldn't get there in time, and I just I was out of town the whole weekend. So you know my girlfriend didn't see it yet. For for those who don't know me, for Brendan it's Carrie. Uh, didn't see it yet. So if we see it, I'll probably try to but see it in Carrie. IMAX then uh, out in Lancaster. Yeah, because the experience that's the thing. The action in this movie is unbelievable and for all his faults as a, a human trying to have a normal human brain, Tom Cruise has this relentless commitment to action uh, and making these action scenes look good and real. Uh, that's basically disappeared from Hollywood in my opinion. And it just, it pays off. Like he, these guys are actually inside, you know, fighter jets and you can, it, it looks like it, like it's an unbelievable thing to experience to be able to watch. As far as the story, you know, what you get out of the story. I mean, in some ways it was more, heartfelt than I was expecting more so than the, than the first one, but yeah, great time. I definitely recommend seeing it in theaters. If you're going to see it at home, you better have a home theater because it's not going to be the same. Hell yeah. All right, go check it out. Well, everybody, this has been another episode of straight up Sabres presented by the hockey podcast network and the charging Buffalo. We just one more time want to say thank you to everybody who submitted to this mailbag. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you very much. We're going to do probably one or two more throughout the off season. Definitely. Once we get a little bit closer to the draft and into free agency, but again, thank you all so much for sending in your questions. If you are listening now, keep an eye out, follow us on social media so that you can know the next time that we do one. And next time we'll make sure we tease it on the pod. But again, this has been presented by the Charging Buffalo and Hockey Podcast Network. Make sure you're checking out both the presenters of this podcast on the respective websites. Whatever streaming platforms you're using, make sure you're checking out all of our fellow shows and follow them on social media on top of following us. Last but not least, make sure you're using DraftKings and using that promo code THPN at check out to take advantage of great deals we'll be back talking about the conference finals matchups in a brand new episode coming out on monday but until then everybody have a great weekend this has been straight up savers <laughs>